Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They're all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two. I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, thank you for meeting me again for another episode. Look, a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, have questions about music and Islam. And I sometimes, personally, I think that these issues have been beat to death. But then, you know, I meet somebody and they, they pull me aside and they're like, I have to ask you a question and they're struggling with this. And I think it's like some big colossal issue and then it's about music. And I'm like, I'm shocked that, you know, the people are still talking about music. But... Uh, it's it's a fact. There is a lot of uh, information and disinformation out there. And, you know, music is a very powerful force in our world. And I understand that people still want to talk about it. And I think even despite this episode, people are still going to want to talk about music. So, what does Islam say about music? Now, rather than just dive in and answer that question... Uh, I think if you, for those that know me or those that don't know me but have been following some of the episodes, I think you kind of might have a, a clue of how I would answer this question. But I wanted to, to start out a little bit differently, hopefully to provide a framework. And I think that that's sort of one of my patterns is I think that a lot of times when, when I want to come and discuss something that might be quote-unquote controversial or difficult to discuss, I always feel that what, what's missing is a framework around which or th- and through which we can discuss an issue. So rather than saying, oh, this is uh, halal or this is haram, I think that people might get lost that way, but they need a little bit of a background information. Not not you know not like a PhD dissertation background, but just a little bit of a background information. Traditionally, in the Western world, music was part of what was called the quadrivium, the four subjects that were preceded by three subjects, three core subjects called the trivium. The trivium being logic, grammar, and rhetoric. And the quadrivium being the four subjects related to math, uh, astronomy, arithmetic. And of those, one of those subjects was music itself. And, and here I'm talking about the Western world. Now, in the medieval West, where the trivium and the quadrivium emerged, of course, as many of us know, that was taken from Muslim education you know, just ripped off of Muslim education and the background, because this was something that since the time of Pythagoras, up until our time, we understand that there is a huge mathematical component to music. And that's very, very important. Sometimes just simply classifying information and understanding where the information falls. You know, the reason I say this is that, okay, the trivium subjects, they teach you how to think or how to speak correctly think correctly speak correctly that's why you need grammar logic and rhetoric so when you when you say something you don't sound foolish if you speak correctly then you'll also think think correct correctly and uh it, it makes sense that this would be the key 
you know, education for the beginning uh, student. But then after that, the four next subjects, which are the mathematical subjects, the subject of arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, and music, they're all related to numbers and how numbers work in different ways. So now we just say, oh, math. But math is, it, it, that's like a, a non-discerning way of using the word math. The mathematical arts, as the quadrivium were called, were subdivided. Arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, and music. Now, astronomy, right? We, knowing how the, 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 the phases of the moon, how the sun looks in the sky, where the different constellations are, in different parts of the year, in different places on earth, northern and southern hemisphere, etc., God says in the Quran, and by looking at the stars, they are guided. They are guided in the directions that we can figure out the qibla, we can figure out the times of prayer, etc. All of that's using math and numbers. And music was also a part of that. So the reason I begin with that is that maybe for people that are educated in the West or having a Western education, I mean, I certainly had music was all, always part of my education. Uh, maybe not exactly in the way of the of the trivium quadrivium understanding, but I certainly studied geometry and and music was part of my 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 teaching my core subjects ever since I was in in grammar school in elementary school, and that's sort of like stating a fact. That's why I begin that way, and when we understand that, then we understand how some of the early ulama looked at music, music being the different measure of sounds and tones through us in a certain period of time. And one of the famous early stories of Al-Khalil ibn Ahmed, who was one of the who was the originator of the uh, articulating the meters of the Arabic poetry, Al-Urud, the, the, the different um, what we call them in music, in Arabic music, the maqams, the different styles of reciting Arabic poetry. The story it might be apocryphal or not, because we have a similar story actually to Pythagoras, whom we just mentioned a while ago, is that he was walking through the marketplace and he heard the blacksmith and hammering on the anvil and he just noticed all of the sounds in the marketplace and when he went home, the water in the well and dipping the bucket in the well, he just noticed all of these sounds make up a pattern, make up a mathematical pattern. And he articulated this until this day, when we come to study Arabic poetry, we also study the uru. We always also study how, what, what type of meter the poems are in. And a couple of generations, a couple of centuries later, not not too far later, we have the great Muslim philosopher Al Farabi, who wrote Kitab, uh, who, who wrote Al Musiqa Al Kabir, the, the the large book of music, in which he articulates all of this stuff. Uh, in in a in great detail, even to the point where he he has drawings of of potential instruments, and he talks about string instruments, wind instruments, and how you make sound, and how you make music, and the melody, and the this and the that. Again, it's a function of uh, of math, of how sounds sound, whether the sound is long, whether the sound is short, whether they're interchanging, and all of the potential combinations that happen between them. Now. The reason I, I wanted to begin in this fashion is to highlight that there is an academic and scholarly understanding to music. That music is something that naturally happens in the world around us. 
in the Islamic sciences, the Salaf, the first few centuries of Islam, they were always concerned with the spoken word. They were concerned with, obviously, first and foremost, the recitation of the Qur'an, to make sure that the recitation of the Qur'an was proper, using both the rules of Tajweed, the rules of how the Qur'an is supposed to be recited, but also how it's supposed to sound, so that the sounding of the verses is appropriate for the verses, and likewise for poetry. So Arabic poetry, which is both pre-Islamic and post-Islamic, and post-Islamic it, it continues, there continues to be Arabic poetry, same thing, there has to be meter to the verse. You can't just, you know, anybody can't just get together and put two, three lines together of Arabic and say this is poetry. It's got to sound appropriate. And we even have that in 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 the study of, of, of Western poetry as well. I mean, it's just, again, it's like a fact. That's how poetry, one of the things that puts poetry together. So early on, there was this understanding amongst the scholars that music was a manifestation of math. It's something that predates Islam. It goes back to Pythagoras. People have been talking about it for millennia. It, it, that, that was understood. But the question that I think, obviously when people ask about what does Islam say about music, they don't really care about what I just said. I mean, I'm just giving you guys some background so we have, we have you know, those data points. The real question is, what does the Quran and the Sunnah say about music? But for me to answer that, it's really important that we understand what music is, first of all. You know, the measuring of the sounds over a course of a period of time. So when I understand that, again, this is like saying the angles of the triangle are equal to 180 degrees. Uh, the, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. It's just a fact. That's what music is. So when I hear the, when I hear the story, the hadith of the Adhan, in which uh, Abdullah bin Zayd radiallahu anhu had a dream of the Adhan, the Prophet Sasa, and he told the Prophet Sasa, and the Prophet Sasalim told him, teach the Adhan to Bilal. Why? Because he has a better voice than you. So, even though Abdullah bin Zayd had the dream, and it's sort of like his thing, right? The Adhan, the Prophet is indicating that there's got to be a nice voice attached to the Adhan. Because you want people to come to prayer with Adhan, not to be scared when the Mu'adhan starts, you know, belting out the Adhan. You know, back then there was obviously no microphone, but you don't want the person to be scared. You want the person to come, oh, that's so beautiful. So there's this concept that there can be a beautiful voice, again, using the technical understanding of beautiful music or a beautiful melody versus a bad one. When the Prophet ﷺ heard Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, the famous Sahabi reciting Qur'an, he said, Abu Musa, you know, you've been given, you know, the, the melody and the, and the, uh, the sound of, of the Psalms of David, Mazamir, you know, the sounds and the, and the music that was given to David. That's how beautiful your recitation of the Quran is. The Prophet is telling him, that's such a beautiful sound. Now we don't he didn't say that to everyone that recited the Quran. He 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 said that to one particular Sahabi in one particular instance because it was just so beautiful. So there's a beautiful sound. It's like there can be a nasty sound. Well, what makes the sound beautiful? So you have to be able to then ask that question. What can make that sound beautiful versus not? So when you isolate beautiful sounds, Again, we go back to this idea of mathematics and counting and measuring of the tones of the, of the, um, of the sounds, long, short combinations, etc. And we start to see these patterns, just like Al-Khalid ibn Ahmad found those patterns for, for the different modes of, 
of of the Arabic poetry. We also have another story in which it was the day of Buath. It was the day in Medina in which the the Medinese uh, Muslims celebrated a pre-Islamic battle, and there was singing and dancing. Uh, by you know the young in the mosque and the Prophet ﷺ and his wife went to attend and to participate and Abu Bakr said Abu Bakr was upset you know how could this happen in the house or in the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ and then the Prophet ﷺ said but this is a happy occasion you know this is appropriate now again if there's drums that means somebody's banging on the drums that means there's got to be some beat to it some rhythm to it again some music to it and we also have uh, the, the, the many people that recited poetry in the presence of the Prophet وسلم, when, when Hassan ibn Thabit would recite poetry the Prophet وسلم, would pray that you know continue and keep going Ruh al-Qudus will, will support you and give you victory you know the spirit that Allah has created will, will come to your assistance and carry you forward so the Prophet وسلم, was a patron of that and loved to hear the beautiful uh, poems of the people around him, especially those Sahaba that came and they praised the Prophet to him in the masjid. So, the real issue I think that people have with music is the following, that there are some hadith that talk about the signs of the final hour and part of the signs of the final hour is that musical instruments, the listening of music will become prevalent but in that hadith is mentioned some other bad stuff, like fornication will become common. People will drink alcohol, but call it by different things. You know, all of these like things that we all agree are haram. And then in that list of things, and then musical instruments will become common. So people, they look at this hadith and they say, okay, well, there you go. Music is haram. Because that's not just haram, but it's a sign of the final hour. However, in our methodology of interpretation, in our usul al-fiqh, there are a couple principles that are very important that we need to understand. So Imam al-Nawawi, for example, when he analyzes these type of hadith, he tells us that just because things are linked together, they don't all take the same ruling. That when things are linked one after the another, they're not all the same power. And this is in the Qur'an itself. When God subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's, he commands us to do good, but then he also listed in that in that verse, uh, you know, is to is to go to do extra works. But the extra works is not obligatory, like it is to be just. You know, God commands us to be just. Okay, that's wajib. That's something that's obligatory. But what comes after that word in the verse doesn't mean it's also obligatory. How do I know this? Because it's il maruf. It's extra good things. So. When you look at these verses long enough and you understand the patterns, this is where we get our usul al-fiqh from, this is where we get our methodology of interpretation from. So when we find something that's a list, we know as a rule, not everything in that list takes the same ruling. You have to analyze everything by itself. So just because music and musical instruments is mentioned, it doesn't mean that it's like zina and like drinking alcohol, you know, walayadu billah. And then the other thing is also in our... Uh, science of interpretation, methodology of interpretation, as it relates specifically to the ver- to the signs of the final hour, is that there is no necessary uh, link between the signs themselves and the haramness of those things that are mentioned. In other words, 
what the Prophet is saying, he's saying that this is a sign. When you see this, then know that the hour is drawing near. What, what's an, a, a, a thing that we can prove this rule by but without the controversy? Building tall buildings. In the famous hadith of Gabriel, the Prophet told Gabriel that one of the signs of the final hour coming close is that people will compete in the building of tall buildings. No one has said that the building of tall buildings is haram, like building a skyscraper is haram. But rather, the Prophet said, when you see this, this is a sign that you are coming closer to the final hour. It doesn't necessarily mean that that sign is haram. But rather, it is a sign that the hour is drawing near. And anyway, the Prophet said, I was sent and the hour, and he put his middle and index finger together, he said like this, meaning that I, would, you know, I, am, I am the seal of prophets, and that I am the sign that the hour is coming anyway. So, you only know this if you know our usul, if you only know our interpretive methodology. If you don't know our interpretive methodology, you're going to make a mess of things, as other people have. And this is why, throughout our history, we've had major ulama, Abdul Ghani Nabulsi, a great Syrian alim, uh, Al-Qaisarani, a Hadith master, and others who have wrote specifically about music and listening to music. Imam Al-Ghazali, you know, Hujjatul Islam, the famous Imam, the proof of Islam, all of these people. Of course, there are some ulama that shy away from the music thing. But the ulama that understand music the way I have presented it, as something that is related to math, as something that we find in nature, as something that we find evidence for the, the positively in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, we cast away any doubt against uh, using the hadith about the signs of the final hour. If you follow that logic, what is the answer to the question we begin with? What does Islam say about music? Islam says that the good of music is good and the bad in music is bad. In other words, if you find music that's good, the lyrics are good, the lyrics are clean, uh, you know, they don't c cause you to do something haram, then that's good music. And if you found find music and that music is the opposite of that, then the Shia would say that that's bad music. And it's as simple as that. And then everyone has to really determine for themselves. I don't want people to flood me with questions. Oh, I was listening to this band halal or this person halal. Or, it doesn't work like that. Everyone has to, you know, determine for, the, for themselves how the good and the bad is. Now there are some things that are just clear. The good is clear and the bad is clear. And there are some things that are gray and if you don't know the answers to that, that you should stay away from. But Islam in no way, shape or form suppresses the artistic expression, in no way, shape or form says flat out that music is a kabira, music is haram. Nobody in the history of Islam has said that. The people that have criticized music have criticized, for example, going back to that hadith about the signs of the final hour, the Prophet why did he, there is a reason why he mentioned things in, in a list. It's not just, I'm not trying to find the loophole out of interpreting the hadith. There's a reason. Meaning, when you find this combination of things together, you know, drinking, illicit relations, music, you know, clubbing, uh, hanging, that, that night scene all together, yeah, all of that together put together. If somebody asked the Sharia, what do you think about that? Be like, that's haram, don't do that. Don't hang out like that. But, if I'm, uh, you know, if we have um, somebody who's taken a classical Islamic poem and put it to tune, and there are some instruments and performing that, that's completely different than the first scenario that I just mentioned. So there's also a the the scene. We even in English we say the scene, and that's how the ulama looked at. It. They called it hayya al ijtimaiya. They said that the social scene that the Prophet ﷺ is talking about, in which are present those things. 
that is what is haram and that is what we should stay away from is and that is what is the sign of yawm al-qiyamah not necessarily those individual things in and of themselves even though some of the things we agree are haram and some of those things that we agree are not haram anyway I will leave the discussion on music there. Again, I don't think that this is going to solve everything for everyone, but at least it can get the conversation going, and I will see you soon.